0: Let's uh, let you introduce our guest, our first guest on the show. All right. Chelsea Janes of the Washington Post uh, joins us on the show now. And uh, Chelsea, good morning. And uh, shouldn't you feel like you should be in L.A. at this point?
1: (laughs) Yeah, I actually just saw a picture a few minutes ago and I was like, I got a weird feeling of like, wow, that's that's happening, and we're not there. But yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it's it's still kind of crazy that they're not there.
0: You and I looked at each other as we were leaving the ballpark, and you left a couple of minutes before I did. Uh, after I did the post game show up in the studio on the fifth floor, but you 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 and I looked at each other, and we just kind of shook our heads, <laughs> like yeah. we could, we couldn't believe what we just saw. So many twists and turns to that game. You know, and the irony of it all to me is the fact that that five-run or that four-run inning in the fifth comes against uh, comes against Max Scherzer.
1: Yeah, I mean that's a guy who, after the game, you know, spoke to everyone and just stood there and looked at me, and I just looked at him, and he just like was about to start saying sentences and then couldn't form them and would just shake his head, and it was like I just thought that summed it up perfectly. You know, that a guy who always has an answer for absolutely everything was just like stunned and confused and, you know, felt like he did everything normally and it just went so badly. And I feel like that's kind of what everyone was thinking after that
2: game. Chelsea, uh, and we really appreciate your being part of the show today and throughout the season. Uh, You do an excellent, excellent job with the Washington Post covering the the Washington Nationals. Um, the, The interpretation of that that play call, you know, where where the backswing hits weeders on the head. Uh, Have we determined yet what the real rule is? And and it really seems like the Nats got shafted on a misinterpretation of that rule.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I think, I don't think they, you know, anyone came up with an answer that made anyone happy on that. I think that one of the problems was, you know, certainly the rule suggests that it's you know, a dead ball and that, um, you know, the runner shouldn't have advanced and that inning shouldn't have progressed that way. But I think that one of the problems with that and what sort of came out from the umpires but fairly was that nobody had seen that before. I mean, it, it's not like you could kind of look back for an interpretation, you know, I mean, no one knows what the slide rule is, but we all sort of know what is called and what isn't. Did, so, that was such so, an absurd play that it was like, well, it, what do you
2: do with this? Well, let's break it down, though. Am I correct that the, did the umpires not even see weeders get hit in the head? There, there seemed to be, in, in listening to postgame talk, and uh, I'm talking on, the, on Masson, it sounded like that that was not challengeable to say, hey, look at the video replay, and that will show you that he got hit in the head.
1: Right, and I think, again, I think that was part of it, too, that they, I don't know if all four of them didn't see it, but you can't review that. And we went through the list of, you know, MLB rules, too, and, and yeah. saw challengeable plays, and we're scrolling through that list, and it's not on there, obviously. But, I, you know, I wonder if it would be on there, you know, had a few more things like this happen, because it makes sense that you would want to look for that. But it, it's just such a strange situation, and, and like, it, it just summed up the whole night. It was like, yeah. how did that play
2: come up in this game in that situation? It it was uh, certainly bizarre. It was one of the more bizarre one-third of an innings you'll ever see as one of the top five pitchers in all of baseball kind of falls apart. His catcher, noted as a very good both handler of pitchers and a very good receiver, has admittedly uh, the worst night he's ever had in just that couple uh, batters there in Matt Wieters. It was a very, very bizarre uh, the end of that inning.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and Weeters was a guy, obviously, you guys know really well, but uh, you just felt awful for after the game. He was just kind of sitting there and staring, and it was like, you know, how, again, how did that happen now, I think was the question they were all asked.
2: So the big question I have for you, the, the Red Sox get eliminated the other day, and it wasn't a shock to me, but they fired their manager, John Farrell. The Nats were eliminated on Thursday night. Their manager is technically a free agent. Do you think that this gets done expeditiously, or do you think the learners, and I know Mike Rizzo would want Dusty Baker back, but do you think they sort of sit on it a little while, and is Dusty technically a free agent, if one of the other teams were interested in him, say the Boston Red Sox, could they come after him immediately or or is he under contract technically to the end of the month?
1: Um, You know, I'm pretty sure that the way that works is that you're – I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure it's after the World Series. Yeah. I don't think that – I mean, I don't – this is not a knock on Dusty at all. I don't think the threat of another team coming in is a concern at all um i think you know that's not something kind of on their radar right now and i you know his name really doesn't pop up cuz a lot of these are you know kind of new school you know analytics kind of people thinking you know for young guys like alex cora and and all those names you always hear so i don't think they're worried about dusty jumping shit um i you know i don't know what's changed over the last week i mean it felt like a month it felt like there was all this drama Dusty was in the center of the whole, you know, announcing the starting pitcher thing. But I think that, you know, before the series, it was very clear that both sides wanted it to be done. I don't think Dusty did anything absurd in game or anything like that that would change that. But I would expect that maybe both sides need a little bit of a cool down. I think, you know, and I think that I still expect that to be done, Um, but you know, I think that it, it's probably not something where they're going to come right back together, you know, today and, and figure it out. I think there's probably a little bit of a deep breath that needs to be taken all around, and not because there's any animosity, but just because that ending was just it was it was wrenching.
2: Let me just throw one thing out to you. and Maybe I'm the only guy in America that sees this, but
1: you and that's a, you, that's not, you, that's, a not surprise there, right. that's not the first time. That's
2: not the first time. You have a team in the Boston Red Sox that's in a very odd situation with their managerial situation. There's a lot of people think that Jason Veritek would be the p- proper fit. He's never managed a game at any level before. Uh, Joey Cora hasn't managed a game. Brad Osmus, who Dave Dombrowski has hired before, his resume really doesn't yell out, out to you in Boston that, hey, that's the guy for us. I'm just wondering if a tandem of Baker managing and, say, Veritek or somebody else coming in as the bench coach to learn under Dusty, that there is another team there that might say, because, you know, there's been, it's been hypothesized that Dombrowski would reach out to Jim Leland and, and or Tony La Russa, but both of them haven't managed in quite a while, and they're a little bit older than Dusty. I just think the Red Sox are an interesting fit uh, in Boston.
1: I mean, I've definitely been extremely and totally wrong before, but I just don't see it. I, you know, I think that there was a reason that Dusty was sort of out of the game for a while. There, I think, for whatever reason, fairly or not, it's, it's, there's just this perception that, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just don't see it there. Um, but maybe. Um, I, but I really think that, you know, also you got to think about Dusty. Like if he's, these guys gave him his chance. You know, he doesn't. He doesn't look at. And he's a pretty loyal guy. So if the Nats are able to give him the kind of money that he probably has earned with yeah. 95 one season, I, I don't see jumping ship being a problem at all. And, and frankly, I think it would be a really... I think the Red Sox would have trouble making that... I don't know. I guess I, I never really even...
0: You never it's even considered I, it. Yeah, I understand. No, and well,
1: I and I don't think a lot. I don't. I'd be surprised if the Nats were at all worried about that. that.
0: That said, that you haven't considered it, I haven't considered it. Let's get back to the sanity part of the show now. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: they're, pick, me, they're picking on me all uh, show, Chelsea. We, we really are, Chelsea.
0: It's it's <laughs> a lot <laughs> of fun. It's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I I gotta <laughs> I ask you though, what did you make though of of Bob Nightingale's report? Right before the series started that Dusty and the Nationals had agreed in principle on a two year extension a two year deal, and uh, you know i'll, I'll take this See, one i didn 't th- even know about that yeah i 'll take this one step further, and that's that 's that my you know my good friend Phil Wood, who I do some post game stuff with, he was down on the field, and we we're standing very close to one another, but Mark Lerner is there, and uh, Dusty comes off the field. And uh, Phil just, you know, stuck out his hand to shake Dusty's hand and said congratulations. And Dusty said thank you. And uh, you know, you know, Miss Tenenbaum was there as as well as Mark. And you know, neither one of them said anything, you know, uh, about it. So that led me to believe that yeah, there probably is a deal in place. Um, no, I haven't
1: heard that. Um, it wouldn't shock me if there's. Sort of the if the talks, you know, if they had some talks maybe right before the the playoffs in that gap week. Um, I will say that a lot of people say congratulations to Dusty on the field every day for things. This is a thing that happens, and I'm I'm not discrediting that because it is kind of a weird thing to happen. But I see people saying congratulations to Dusty for things, and I'm like, what? What are you talking about? And he just shakes their hand and moves on. So mm-hmm. he might not have had any idea what was going on there. Um, but I, I do think that they, like, I'm I'm not, I'm very confident that this happened. And I, you know, I think both sides going into that postseason were confident that it happened. And, uh, you know, I no, nothing's happened to change that. So it what? wouldn't surprise me at all if I- they've talked this through.
0: I see no reason to think that it's not going to happen, and the only reason in my mind that it wouldn't happen is, again, money, because I don't think – Well, Dust- that's, that's part of my
2: scenario, uh, you know, my vague scenario is has to do with the fact – Chelsea, what do you think Dusty – in the real world, would command if he were 55 years old and not 70 or 71 years old? Well, he's what do you two think?
0: years away from 70. Okay, so he's
2: 68. How? What do you think he would earn from any other team, if it was the Yankees, the Red Sox? Wouldn't he be a $4 million manager? I
1: think so. I yeah. think he thinks so. Um, and I think he thinks I think that.
2: He'd... So uh, my only point is if there is any hesitancy here at all, I could see one other team being interested in him. And that's all. I'll leave it at that. Okay. Um, now let's move ahead to the next series coming up. You saw what the Cubs had to get through to to get to the next series. You saw last year what the Dodgers had to get through to get to the next series. Is this just sort of a reverse of repeat of last year where the team that the Nats take so much out of – really isn't ready to compete in the next series?
1: I mean, I don't know. You know, I think there's got to be something to that. I mean, they're going to start a really kind of battered Jose Quintana who had to pitch in Game 5 or, you know, against – or warm up in Game 5. Now I'm blanking. It was all a blur. Uh, against Kershaw in Game 1. And then just kind of hope that everyone else recovers. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it is kind of tough to see the, the Cubs – beating those guys when they've had all this time to set up and get healthy, and I think Corey Seager's a little banged up, but other than that, you know, he's got a bad back, right? Yeah, they're in good shape, so I, you know, I, I do think there's something to that. I will say I think the Cubs feel like they're kind of playing with house money at this point, and that is obviously has looked like it was a good thing for them the other night. They're very relaxed, um, played, you know, Uh, played pressure free, but I don't know.
0: A couple of things from the series with the Nationals. When you look back to, as Stan said, they they took a lot out, or Madden took a, a lot of things that he had to get to Wade Davis, uh, you know, and then it turns out to be a seven-out save uh, for him. But in the one inning where I had a
2: flashback that I had long hair.
0: Yeah, you know. <laughs> four hours and thirty-seven minutes. Yeah, uh, I got I gotta ask you if, if Lobaton. And this is all obviously hypothetical, but if Lobatone doesn't get picked off first base, I think the Nats win that game.
1: I agree. Um, At that point in the game, we're sitting up there having all our losing stories done and thinking, and then you start to see the rally, and you're like, well, you know what? There it is. Like, Doolittle's warming. Their bullpen's fine. The Cubs' bullpen is just absolutely decimated. You know, somehow the Nats are in a better position than the Cubs pitching-wise right now. If they get that run in and it's tied, if they get two runs and they take a lead, you're thinking it's over. And then for that to happen it was like, Oh my gosh, like how did that just happen? You know, it was it was a rally in a time when it didn't look like they could be stopped and then something stopped them. And I, I completely agree. That being said, I don't you know it's really hard to sort of fault Jose tone entirely because he was back, he was backed by a lot and then his foot came off the back. So it's like, you know, I don't it it's again, it's like how did that happen now? You know, and I think obviously you don't wanna make it close at that point in the game if you're Jose Lobatone, so you can fault him for that, but he was back, and mm-hmm. it was just it was remarkable, really.
0: Yeah, but the other part of that is too is that uh even even knowing that you you, you if you are Lobatone, you just can't put yourself in that position. Yeah. That's... That, that's... Yeah,
1: no. And you got a guy who likes to throw too and you know that, but again, it's yeah, I mean it's true, but It was just,
2: again, one of those, like, unthinkable how to bomb off (laughs) them. Let's look look at a uh, personnel decision facing the uh, Washington Nationals during this offseason. I'm listening to Chris Russo's uh, – what's his show called that comes on at – Oh, High Heat. High Heat yesterday. He says there's no way back – no way that uh, that team can have Gio Gonzalez come back after he did that. Um, He's a free agent, isn't he? Do you expect that they will go after him – with with great fervor, Gio. Yeah,
1: yeah, he's under contract now, so he.
2: he's, oh, he's been best
1: at one eighty. Yeah. Okay, so he's, so he's there. Okay, but I I think the really interesting thing is whether they decide that he is someone they want after next year. Because if he's not, then you want to go after a starter. Now you know the Nats are always sort of a year ahead on their pitching. So I think if they say Gio's probably gone then they really have to start hunting this offseason and see if they can you know, find that replacement.
0: I think we've seen Jason Worth play his last game as a national. Uh, would you agree with that?
1: I would. I think I'm a little bit less sure of that than everyone else is because I'm not sure that he gets the job elsewhere that he thinks he's going to get. And if he doesn't, I could see him in the net saying, let's do this and it's going to be on the bench and you're not going to make the same amount of money but we'll let you try to rebuild some value. That's the only scenario where I can see it. Um, yeah. But if he gets a DH job, if, if somebody's willing to pay him um, to kind of play every day or something near it, I think, obviously, I think he's gone. But I'm just not as 100% sure as everyone else.
2: Chelsea, our show producer, Bon has a question for you.
1: Hey, uh okay. Chelsea, what do you think about, and I want to ask Craig, too, what do you think about the catcher situation with Matt Weeders? Do you think well, he's he – signed.
0: Well, he you know, he's got an he, his his option. He's got an option, correct?
1: Right.
0: Chelsea, he's not going anywhere. His on his you know, option.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I actually think catchers a really interesting thing they need to figure out this off season because you know, as much as as he's a nice guy, he had an awful year. I mean, yeah. he was awful offensively. He was a black hole. Mm-hmm. And I think he really helped the pitching staff, but you know, he's not a 10 million dollar player. And he's going to, you know, there's no way Matt Wheaters can opt out of a $10 million option after a year like that. Yeah, he'll be here. But I think you have to really assess what you do behind him. And, you know, I think Pedro Severino probably deserves a little bit of a shot. I mean, you could have argued heading into the playoff series. And I did that like, he should have been on that roster and, you know, he's never going to be a huge offensive producer, but he's a guy who, who elevates his game in the major leagues. He loves the spotlight. He's one of the most energetic human beings you will ever find, which is great for them. And he's an outstanding defender. So everything that you saw the other night, you're thinking, this doesn't happen if it's heavy. And I think, you know, after seeing that, there's a real chance that they, you know, if if Matt Weeders is going to hit 220 anyway, you probably should see a lot more Pedro Severino. So, you know, I don't see him going anywhere. I don't see them buying him out at $10 million. But it's it's certainly something where you have to evaluate the playing time because he just didn't produce.
0: Yeah, and, and Severino, uh the one thing about him from a catching standpoint. Did stand, he play
2: mostly a triple A this year?
0: Well he was up yep. here, yeah. And mostly,
2: he was hurt too. Yeah, okay.
0: and, he, and he was hurt. But when he's healthy, some pretty good wheels, right, Chelsea?
1: Yeah, he's he's speedy too, which helps. Um I mean that, that being said, not we got a gun hit But um yeah, I think Yeah, he's just a really interesting catcher with a good arm and really, really natural behind the plate, and I think you know, probably has earned his shot up here.
2: Hey, one last question for you. The most positive thing to happen to the Nationals this year seems to me, as an outside observer a little bit, that Michael A. Taylor now has established himself as somebody that seems to fit with Harper and Eaton in that outfield next year.
1: Yeah, I think Michael Taylor is a a star in the making, and yep. I think they are always got that. and it's yep. just, you know, everyone got to see it on the big stage. What we've really seen all year, I mean, he's a big hit guy. I mean, he, he's really been important. So, yeah, I think I mean, there is an argument, though, that you flip an outfielder and, and get something for it, but I think you feel a lot better about Bryce Harper leaving after next year if that happens, if you know you can play an outfield of, you know, Eaton, uh taylor and robles who uh, robles obviously showed himself able to contribute so yeah i think they're feeling really good and and michael taylor was a bonus i think coming into this year they they thought he was never going to be that guy and then suddenly i think they really believe he is that guy
2: interesting mlb uh, trade com has a guy on their staff that uh projects the um the qual not the qualifying offer yeah, what these people will make in arbitration. Mm-hmm. And he's got Josh Donaldson at 20, $20.2 million, Manny at seventeen point three. But the Nats, as we know, back in May, have Bryce Harper signed for next year for $21-plus plus million But that seems about right, doesn't it? It does.
1: Yeah. I, I will say that when the Nats kind of buy out arbitration, they do a really good job. And I yeah. think signing Bryce for next year was a really – mutually beneficial thing, especially when he gets hurt. You know, yep. he gets the money. There's no animosity in arbitration this year. So I think that was one of the smartest kind of subtle moves that they made before. I thought to it was get that done and take the pressure off.
0: Yeah. One, th- one quick thing before we let you go. And that's that I wanted to get your take on all the fiasco that happened in the 24 hours leading up to the Strasbourg eventual start in game four <laughs> Do you think it basically finally came down to maybe Scott Burroughs getting on the phone and saying, Stephen, unless you can't possibly walk, you need to take the ball?
1: I have no evidence of that, but if I would be absolutely lying to you if I said I didn't think he played a role in all that. And you know what? At the end of the day, it's so funny because it all turned out It was like, it was just an agonizing 12 hours for everyone involved. And it worked out perfectly. You know what I mean? So it it was crazy, but I I do think maybe somebody said, well, if you're getting killed for this, you need to try. And I do believe that he got better, too. But, I, yeah, I I mean, there's got to be something there, but I have heard nobody say so, and I expect never to hear anyone admit as much.
0: Well, if he wasn't better, he can pitch like that sick all the time. (laughs) (laughs)
2: Chelsea, you've covered the Nets for a good while now. You've watched how the learners operate. I just want to ask you the last question. Not only did the Nats do what was right for themselves and right for perhaps the long term signing of Bryce Harper by buying out the arbitration, do you think at all that they were sort of sticking it to their Masson rivals uh, because now they've gotten Machado slotted at seventeen point two, and and maybe the number is eighteen. But they've got him, and we know Peter Angelos is not going to buy out arbitration, uh, especially now. Uh, they've got him sitting and stewing a little bit at three and a half, four million less than Bryce Harper. And we know that Manny Machado thinks he's the equal of. Do you think there was some gamesmanship there? Um, I don't. I, I think, you
1: know... I think- I don't think that the Orioles-Nats rivalry in that sense is overblown. Okay. But I think Bryce Harper is sort of like his own separate entity that consumes a lot of the Nats thinking. That being said, I do not think they're upset that it looks that way. You know what I mean? Like, I I think there's certainly, (laughs) like, a side bonus there. You know, like, well, I'll I'll
2: tell you one thing. It doesn't look that way. I guarantee you, Manny Machado, when he sees those numbers and compares what Donaldson is slated at and what Harper's already signed for— He's not going to be a happy camper. Chelsea James of the Washington Post will grab you as we get closer to winter baseball meetings. Thank you so much for joining in. Yeah, no problem.
1: Thanks for having
2: me. All right. There you have it. Very fine writer. Covers the, the Nats. She does a great best. job. She really is. Yeah. She's the best.